Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it. From the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life. And in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you. So the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to the Olympic gold medal winning hockey player, Alex Danson, and the theme is No Regrets. Alex Danson, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you very much for having me here today. Absolute pleasure. Um, I was slightly expecting to see you in sunglasses and that pink Patagonia hat that you've been (laughs) rocking for ages. Um, Yes, uh, Thankfully, I'm a lot better than I was even a few months ago. Uh, I still have headaches a lot, but I'm not quite as sensitive to the to the light. So my lovely hat and sunglasses don't need to be donned at all times. You're back with the uh, GB squad. I don't want to talk too much about it, but just yeah. So you're you're clearly very much on the men from your traumatic brain accident. Yeah, it's absolutely for me. I I felt like I'd got to the stage in my recovery where getting back to some normality, returning to the team, um, trying to kind of improve the last parts of my health being back in an environment I knew was really important so yeah it's fabulous to be back there. Feeling optimistic and grateful? Very very grateful Um, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to try um, and it's also 
wonderful to have the opportunity to oh, oh there goes my chair Carry on. <laughs> to to just give my health the opportunity to improve to where it was previous to my to prior to my injury okay we're going to talk about your injury we're going to talk about what you've learned we've got to start with your outstanding hockey career <laughs> so you uh you are one of britain's greatest ever hockey players I Look mean, at that. I like that. The coy grin. Sounds like, I like a, a, a biased mum or brother kind of thing to say. <laughs> yeah, well, over 300 caps. How many in total? 306. I'm always amazed by how many caps hockey players get. Yeah. I had Kay Richardson-Walsh on. I was like, yeah, that's so many. And actually, we play even more games now. So I think the, the players coming through now will gain even more caps because kind of how regular international calendar is now, it's incredible, really. And you're an absolute goal machine, aren't you? I, I don't know about goal machine. Were, I, I mean, you broke the record. I was, I was a forward. I think I, I over think, 100 goals. Yeah, I think. Listen, if you're going to come on, I'm not having you being coy and downplay it, right? <laughs> okay, I, my job is to score goals, I guess. So, um, yeah, thankfully I had great players behind me and oh, players here alongside. Here we go. Oh, we, we could score a lot of goals <laughs> yeah, between us. Um, I saw a video of you actually where you're doing like this. You probably know the one I mean, where you're doing this leap sideways and hitting it inside out and scoring. Do you, uh, know, yes. the, do you know the video I, think, I mean? I think it was with yeah. I think invested that. Yeah, it was. So I guess my, you know, my trademark is I was probably on the floor more than I was standing up. Uh-huh. Um, I wasn't afraid to throw myself about, and uh, I love the I love the athleticism of the game. Uh-huh. So I mean, that was probably a rare one where I actually made contact with the ball. There's many where I missed. Olympic gold medalist. So you've reached the peak of of the hockey world. Yeah, Rio was gosh so spectacular. It was it was for me not the fact that it was. It was obviously an Olympic Games, which is the pinnacle of, you know, for any sport. Um, But it was the manner in which we did it. It was Mm -hmm. just relentless monotony, game by game, doing the same thing very simply, all together as a team. And it kind of culminated in that win, which was, Mm. yeah, something that I can always look back very proudly at. Yeah, I spoke to Kate about it and the journey that you guys had. And there'd been that tournament where you really underperformed, and then you all got together, had these tough conversations. And I mean, it's it's movie movie script esque, really, the way you got to that goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was certainly. You know, it wasn't plain sailing at all. We, you know, we went into that tournament ranks ranked seventh in the world, the underdogs. No one expected us to win, but we believe we could. But that doesn't happen. You can't just put a group of people in a room and say, you know, believe you're going to win and you will. That has to be backed up with your behaviours prior to that. That has to be backed up by um, where you fit in the team, by the people that you're surrounded with, by by the support staff. So it was the journey we went on. Absolutely was the only reason that we ended up, you know, winning that gold medal on the behalf of everybody yeah. that had played for our team that's exactly that. what Kate said it's, it's representing everyone and the people who played and didn't make the team or whatever but also you said about the preparations and they all feed into the beliefs don't they and actually you, when you do believe that you can achieve something then you it, know magical stuff is possible it does it changes your behaviour if you believe you can do something fundamentally your behaviour will change because if you can believe you, you can do it you'll go out and practice or you'll go out and train or you'll have that difficult conversation with someone that you wouldn't ordinarily, but because you have this unwavering, you know, underlying belief in whatever it is you want to achieve, you're, you change what you do. It's almost was as simple as that for us. Not only do you have a gold medal, you've got a pitch named after you at your school. <laughs> yeah, that That's was cool. That was really special. Yeah, so my old school. I mean, there was never an Astro when I was at school. I was kind of gutted when I they were like, oh, we're building Astro. I was like, oh, it's 20 years too late. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a fabulous facility, and I actually didn't know they were naming it after me, so they asked if I'd go along to the pitch. Did you cut the ribbon? I did, I cut the ribbon, and but I turned what? up, and my PE teacher was there, um, and many of the staff I used to know, and there was this big 
kind of Alex Stanton hockey pitch, which Amazing. was which was really lovely. Yeah, yeah. It was very special. Last year, I was on the um, panel to choose the Young um, Sports Personality of the Year award. Uh, Alumni, yeah, so you won it so, what, you, like way back when. So I think I think it was the first year. Was it? I think it was the first year, and it was goodness me. BBC Sports Personality was so different. It was in a private yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah. There was my mum and dad came. You know, I don't think I'd ever even brush my hair, and they did my hair. <laughs> it was it was amazing. I met David Beckham. Um, you know, you were in a room, and as I said, a very personal room with like the best of the best athletes. And I was just an absolutely starstruck kid. Um, but yeah, that was. I feel kind of it's really special looking back at that actually, having mm. you know been to many sports personalities now. Um, obviously, seen how much it's changed, how much sports grown here. You know, it's much more of an event, but. Yeah, that was a that was a really amazing evening back. I used to love Spotty. Ago. I mean, like, I love Spotty now, but I used to love it back in the day because it was over in Shepherd's Bush, wasn't it? Over in Do you know, I've so long ago, Center. I can't even remember. It was where here it was. in London. It was here in London, there probably. Yeah, it was yeah, here in London before they took it on the road. And you've played for Britain since you were sixteen. Unbelievable. Now, here, quick question because I was reading about. Well, would you just say what do you say your best characteristic is? Would you and I put words in your mouth here? Would you say it is you know your drive and your character? Oh. One hundred percent. I have always fundamentally believed the most talented aren't the most successful. It's the ones that work the hardest. Um, and you know, I remember as a youngster, I, f- I think my first, I think it was a, I think it was a first under sixteen team. We had a bleep test, and I, you know, I got level like ten point one, very average. Um, played hockey was absolutely terrible. But we were all invited back for a trial about six weeks later, and I knew we were going to do the bleep test again. And, Goodness, I woke my poor mum and dad up every morning to go running. They must, I think every morning thought, oh, she won't come this morning. And I'd knock on the door and they'd be like, oh. Um, and went back and I got level 13.9 or something on the bleep test. Went to play hockey, still terrible, but I was picked that year. And I think it taught me the most valuable lesson in that, in particular as a youngster, you can be taught the skills. You can't, you can't, you can hopefully teach somebody to have the right mentality, but it, without a shadow of a doubt, the hardworking, you know, I've never missed a session in my life. I've been so diligent by the way I've lived my career. I believe that's why I've had a long career mm. um, because I've looked after my body and I've done everything to the letter and I'm I'm really proud I've lived my career in that way. I've heard a lot of coaches say they'd much rather coach someone who has that drive and determination than someone who's chock full of talent yeah. but doesn't have that. If I ever have the opportunity to coach, I... Might be a terrible coach because I'll have I'll pick on character and not talent. So I'll probably have these wonderful people that are really rubbish at hockey. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I would I would always pick on character. I'd pick a team where you want to learn, you're coachable. Um, obviously, you know you have to be talented. There has to be a level of talent there. But you the the qualities that you can have in someone's personality, mindset, character for me they're the hidden extras and I think that's what we've had in abundance over the last few years in our team and anyone can work on that stuff because that's all just application decision skill um you know it's things you can improve absolutely and you know application is key it's about how you do your daily things day in day out every day and sometimes they're boring sometimes they're relentless they're not I think particularly in our world there's this um probably misconception that it's you know quite a glamorous amazing you know you're playing sport but actually all that's ever seen is that shop window of a tournament which does look amazing what you don't see is you know the early morning trainings the training in the rain the physical sessions where you're thrown up you know the hard conversation you're having to have amongst teammates you know not going on holiday choosing to do different things it's it's amazing yeah Yeah, yeah. but then again for me sacrifice is a choice so it's it's what are you willing to make a choice of what is it that you want to do and how are you willing to give everything to try and achieve that and for me 
I think that's why I've loved playing. It's never felt like a sacrifice. It's always felt like a really good choice. So had you not dragged mum and dad out of bed <laughs> to go running in preparation for that second bleep test, things might have turned out quite differently. Yeah, I, I also think you have pivotal moments in your life where you learn really valuable lessons. And for me, that was... That the coach back then, honestly, I one hundred percent. People won't believe me. I was the worst player by a country mile. I was really scrawny. I wasn't very strong. I hadn't developed in terms of skills. But that coach just saw that application in me. That I was mm. willing to go and work hard. That I was willing to, you know, I was pretty much saying, "I'll work hard for you. Teach me the skills. I will do whatever you ask me to do. You can give me all the bits that I can't yet do." And yeah, it was an, it was a massive lesson. I think it had a massive impact on my career because that's how I always lived it. I never expected anything in my career, ever. And I remember every tournament I've ever been to, I've I've never ever thought I may get picked because as soon as you have expectation, again, it affects your behaviour. Mm-hmm. So my expectations always been low, and the outcomes always been great. So it's just how you think of things, and I think that probably came from the lesson I learned when I was sixteen. That reminds me of an equation I heard someone say once. It's like happiness is reality minus expectation or something like that. That really yeah, resonated with me. Yeah. You know, if you, yeah. Set and it's the bar just sometimes just, just tweaking how you think has a massive impact on how you feel and how you feel has a massive impact on how you behave, therefore how much you enjoy something. Yeah. And that's very much how I've lived my career. And you've definitely learned a lot about that over the last couple of years as well. And, yeah. and so the graph that you had then to get up and drag mum and dad out in that month where does that graph come from and to what, what what role have your parents played in developing that side of you? Yeah, my parents have been you know, absolutely crucial to... Um, Can't have been spoiled. No, no, definitely not spoiled. <laughs> but to me as a person, to uh, you know, definitely as a sports person, but as a human as well. Um, you know, my dad worked incredibly hard, as did my mum when we were growing up. Um, my dad would be out before, you know, before we were up for school even and then back later. And he always said to us... Um, you know, always work that little bit harder than is expected of you. That was always, um, yeah, it was always something that was kind of enforced. and Well, not enforced, we just saw that in Dad and that's mm. how we behaved. And with Mum, exactly the same. And Mum found enjoyment in so many things that we all did together and never pushed any of us. It was a case of, you know, what do you enjoy doing? Well, the harder you try at something, the more that you will kind of reap that reward. And that was very much how we were brought up. But it was in a a really comfortable environment. Mm. So I think I just, you learn so much from your parents that at the time you don't really realise that you are, you don't realise mm. that you're subconsciously picking up these traits that yeah. you see in your mum and dad. Yeah, yeah it's um, that modelling side of things, it is, isn't it? Rather it's like do it, what they do, not what they say. Exactly. It was never necessarily what they say. I just, I saw my dad working hard. I saw my mum enjoying what we do and spending all of her time with us. You know, I saw these things and it influenced how I therefore behaved. Mm. And goodness, they gave us so op- so much opportunity. Mum and Dad would drive us here, there, and everywhere. They would, you know, get up early to go running. They would take us to late training sessions. You know, we just had the opportunity, and for that, you know, I'll always be for- forever grateful because I, you know, definitely wouldn't have had this career had it not been for them. So supportive, but not pushy. That's yeah. the that's the key parenting ethos. One hundred percent. I think um, it was really easy. I even I, I even look back now. Um, at some players that I played with that were so talented, but I I actually think their parents wanted it more than them. Mm. And as soon as that balance is is not in you know tipped the wrong way, 
your chances of being successful is so much harder. Yeah. It has to it's come damaging. from It has to come from you. It has to come mm. from the it had to come from me and it and it did come from me, but they gave me every opportunity when I said, I will try. If you know, I will do this, therefore, you know, we'll do whatever we can to make sure you can. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a few people on on the pod who definitely they're they're parents were sort of pushing and wanted it to do for them and actually yeah. it, it did leave sort of scars and can mm-hmm. even lead to sort of mental health issues and yeah. that kind of thing if you're doing something for someone else yeah. that's a problem yeah and I think um you know sometimes now I almost I want more opinion from my mom and dad but yeah. they even now they they very much support me to make my own decision and often when I've made my decision they're like, oh, really glad you made that one it's like why didn't you tell me <laughs> they're like they are you, great parents you know you had to come to that decision yourself yeah yeah um and I'm really grateful for that and it's probably not until I've got to this stage in my career where I've realized how influential that's been on yeah. my path yeah that's helped you obviously develop your own intuition and yes. trust yourself more absolutely and learn to make my own decisions knowing they're supported mm. and knowing they'll tell me afterwards either way whether they think it was yeah, right yeah. or wrong yeah that's great <laughs> So I read a quote of yours where you said the most exciting part of being an athlete is that you'll never finish. You're always looking to make something better. So always striving to improve. I think um, that's single-handedly been the reason I've played as long as I have because you're just never done. And I love that every day my life has complete purpose every day I am making decisions based upon becoming a better athlete whether it's eating whether that's sleeping whether that's you know goodness the first 15 years of my career I didn't really go on a long holiday I mean I did go on a holiday and that didn't end well so maybe it was safe that I didn't go on you know I made every decision was around being in the best shape when I went back into training on the Monday morning mm-hmm. and what could I do that would make the team stronger or how could we think more differently to move this team forward mm. and it was it was just like a it's been an endless dialogue in my brain and I've enjoyed that I like looking for ways to be better and in sport and I think in many careers you know I look at fabulous you know role models away from sport and they're the people that are always looking to improve mm. and a never-ending quest, as well. It's right? a never-ending quest. You know, like you're never we, the finished product. We we won in Rio. We weren't the finished product. You know, the next day, you're on to defending the next the mm. next title, and that's it's just a really exciting and you know great environment to live in. Making those decisions to improve. Obviously, anyone out there, everyone has to make these decisions, and some of us are better at doing them consistently mm-hmm. than others. Obviously, you were very committed to making them consistently. Do, do, do they do they kind of snowball? Do you know what I mean? Like they become increasingly easy to make the right decision the more you make them. Yeah, I do believe that. You know, the famous quote: "Excellence becomes a habit." I do think the hardest thing is to start when you set yourself a goal. Um, the hardest part is doing it for the first few days. And after the first few days, it becomes to be part of your routine. It becomes to be almost enjoyable because you start to see the rewards, whether that's health-related or work-related or, in our, in my example, it's sports-related. Um, the exercise becomes easier or your results become better. And therefore, making good decisions become easy. Now, I do look back to the start of my career when we didn't win much, and I think... How did I do it back then? But that's when you go back to belief and what you want to achieve. And you, I believe goal setting is probably the number one most important thing for my life because if I don't have something that I'm striving towards or something that I believe in achieving, how does it affect 
what I do every day. And I had that. Even from 16, I knew I wanted to be a part of a winning team. So for the first few years of our career, when we didn't win much, we were ranked much lower. I played, you know, 15 minutes in a game, touched the ball three times. I still had this goal. I still mm-hmm. had this drive to be part of a winning team. So you learn as you go through a journey. It may not be a six-week target. It may be a 16-year. But you just chip away at it slowly. Mm. And yes, I appreciate it. it's very easy for me to say this given that you know you can look back and I have achieved that ultimate goal of, of winning with the team in Rio. But it hasn't finished. There are still other things. So even if you don't quite achieve what it is that you're after, the journey I've been on is fabulous. The winning in Rio was amazing, but it wasn't necessarily the best part mm. of my career. It was getting going through my career and learning all the things I did along the way and enjoying that that endless goal. That was the best part of my career. Mm. Yeah, everyone who's mega successful has said exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's, you know, you'd swap the kind of stepping up to get the trophy for the for the bits that's gone before. One exactly. That, I mean, that sums it up perfectly. And actually, the best parts of my career, no one will ever see. Mm-hmm. Because they're not the bits that are put on television. They're the moments in a changing room. They're the moments on the side of the pitch. It's the friendships that you have for the rest of your life. It's the moments when you failed and you you shouldn't have failed and you didn't want to fail, but you did. And what that did to the relationships that you held with the people that that happened with, or it's those things that are valuable. Mm-hmm. And again, as I said, it's very difficult because we did have that ultimate success, but my favourite parts are are not just that moment. Mm. It's a cliche, isn't it? Focus on the process, not not the goal. But yeah. actually, I mean that it, it's not it's it's not um, said without reason. You know, it's yeah, it, it's it backed up by people's experience, like yeah. you, and you've reached the very top of your profession. Now, you've spoke about your um, your dodgy relationship with holidays. So, let, <laughs> so let's move on to your. Um, the dodgiest holiday you've been on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know what else <laughs> happened, but so um, so there you were, you and your now husband Alex, yes. who's a bit of a hero. Yeah. <laughs> well, apart from at this moment, we landed you right in it. Yeah. So there he was. So there you are. Set the scene and just tell us what happened. So we'd, we'd literally just come off the back of a home World Cup. It was amazing. Um, we Alex had kind of persuaded me, as I said, I never like to take a holiday, particularly persuaded me that we needed a nice holiday. We were going to go to Kenya, you know, holiday in a lifetime. Um, we were going, to, going on safari. And I remember one evening um, we were sat and we just had dinner and I was kind of sat leaning into a brick wall. And Alex was next to me and you know, he told a joke. And everyone asked what this joke was. Goodness, we cannot remember. But he told some joke or said something that really made me laugh. And I kind of flung my whole body forwards, kind of holding my belly. And, and I flung my head back at like a reasonably you know, good speed. And I just hit the back of my head like flush, flush on a wall. And I mean, we both at the time, it, it made this horrendous thud. It hurt. And I... I have to say I knew straight away something wasn't quite right. But we both kind of awkwardly, he was like, oh, Al, are you okay? I was like, oh, that really hurt. Kind of rubbed it. Um, we kind of, you know, carried on. We, we we went back. We were heading heading back to where we were staying anyway. And the next morning I woke up and I kind of knew I wasn't right because I woke up every hour during the night. But I kind of ignored it. I said, let's go out for a run. So we went out and did some training. And I was like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I haven't got, you know, I haven't got a concussion again. I've had it three times before. So you got through the run okay? So I got through the run okay. But then I came back and went into our room and just it completely, everything spun. And I felt terrible. And then I was like, okay. And I remember saying to Al, Al, you know, I've got a mild concussion. 
I need to take it easy. I'd experienced it before. I kind of knew the symptoms. Um, we were still in Kenya for two or three more days. We took it very easy. And then it came to flying home. And, I mean, I was in such a bad way. We had to travel by car and it was very bumpy. You know, the, My headache, I can't even explain. It's like my brain was going to explode. I pressured in my head. I felt sick. I had tears rolling down my cheeks. And actually, a flight attendant came over and you know, was asking what was going on. And Alex managed to say, you know... Oh, she's fine. We've just, I think he said we had an argument. I can't remember what he said. Um, and so we got on the plane, came home, but then kind of things went from bad to worse over the next six weeks. And yeah, 18, 18 months later, it has been, has been really life changing. Yeah. So, um, so you got back and uh, you underreported it, didn't it? So you were sort of playing it down. Yeah. I got back and, well, for, for the first probably four weeks, I really was unwell I couldn't um I couldn't really leave a darkened room I was yeah bed bound I couldn't tolerate light or noise or sound um I could get myself up to the bathroom and I could you know make a slice of toast luckily you know Alex was great and was around but then hockey had restarted and you know my character I was not going to be missing I was going to miss as little as possible. I, I couldn't be there for the first two weeks. It wasn't well enough. And I started to think, oh, maybe I can go in. And I went back in. And yes, I, I definitely underreported. I think it's kind of a mentality of an athlete, like mind over matter. Mm. I can beat this. Like, yeah. you know, no one can see this. It's just in my head. Like, you know, I'm okay. Um, and I managed to persuade the doctor to let me go to part of an away day. And it was, they were doing some pottery painting. And I obviously hadn't seen the, I hadn't really seen anyone for over a month. I'd been kind of, as I said, kind of confined at home. And I remember walking into the room, you know, 30 of us girls were very noisy. I remember almost just being hit by this wall of sound. Um, and my brain, I remember being like, it just couldn't take it. Mm. I was like, okay, you're fine. Just sit down, got an egg cup. And I was chatting to the person next to me probably about half an hour in. And all like the only way I can describe it is I felt like someone hit me over the back of the head with a hammer. It was like a sharp pain. And then I just couldn't respond. I, I physically could not talk and I I couldn't get any words to reply to her. And I I remember thinking like this wave of like panic. Mm. And I remember thinking, right, just I went back to makeup and pretended because I knew the session finished in about two minutes. Session finished. I remember the physio came over, are you okay? Like I remember welling up, I was like, I need to get home. Um Could you reply? I at that point I could reply. Yes, I could reply at that point. I got home and that's when things kind of went from bad to worse. Um, I became very, very sick. I had a seizure. I was rushed into hospital. Um, you know, I showed every sign of having some sort of a bleed. Had emergency CT scans, MRI. Um, I then went up to Birmingham for lumbar puncture. And thankfully, there was there was nothing shown. And I remember the doctor at the time said, look, this is... I've never seen anybody kind of... His exact words were fall off a cliff quite like this, um, this long after a head injury. He said, you've got a mild traumatic brain injury and this could take several months to get better. And I just remember looking at him thinking, you don't know me. I'll be, I'll be fine in a week. Who are you kidding? Like, I'll be fine. And unfortunately, he was probably the closest to being right. Um, I left hospital just over a week later and I could honestly do nothing. I couldn't. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't. I could hard hold a conversation. I had to have help to the bathroom. Screens were an absolute no. It was almost like my processing ability had just disappeared, um, and my headaches were very, very bad. And it was back to a dark room, 
You know, it was almost like my body had gone into this physical state of fear. The best way, I, you know, any noise, it wasn't just that noise was loud. If you've ever experienced being in a car with someone, you think they're going to crash. You get that kind of rush of adrenaline over your body. And it was different to that, but it was almost like my body was always fighting this fear response. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just felt very unwell. Um, and unfortunately, that was my reality for the, probably about the next eight, nine months. Do you know why there was that fear uh, response? Like, has the doctor ever said anything about the, the similarity between so, the relationship between brain so, injury? So, and... there was one doctor. Obviously, we saw many doctors, and one of the kind of slightly terrifying things about head injuries is there is um, fantastic diagnostics in terms of if there is a bleed, but if there's not, there's very little is actually known. They do think the part of the, my brain that I hit my amygdala is where your oh, yeah. Your basically your fight and flight hormone is is released. So if there's some damage there or some bruising or anything there, that can have effect in how your body regulates your fear response. So, you know, that was one of the really unpleasant symptoms and meant that, you know, anything busy or noisy or where anybody was was just... And I couldn't tolerate it. My body just simply couldn't tolerate it. It was like I just had to get out of the room. Mm. Um, so, you know, that was probably one of the symptoms that has now gone that I am the most thankful for yeah. because... Having been somebody that was, you know, I was leading my country out at home World Cup in front of, you know, twenty thousand people, three weeks before, to not being able to hold a conversation with Alex or my mum was incredibly difficult. Mm, yeah, to go from resilient to having this fearful, yeah, and very I, fearful, and I couldn't response. understand it. And I've always been someone that nothing's beating me. You know, I can beat that time frame. I can get better quickly you know mind over matter I can do this but head injuries are not like that Mm. and the really hard thing about them is they are invisible so the only thing that anybody else can see is what the person tells you that's it you know there's no visible signs for my type of head injury so when it's a mild traumatic brain injury of course thankfully it wasn't a traumatic brain injury where there are you know sometimes really visible signs but Many people have this, and it's very, very hard for people to understand. Mm. Was the loss of control then, was that one of the hardest things? I think for me it was the loss of identity and the loss of purpose. Um, My life has been filled with hockey, with being a part of a team, with training every day, with seeing people, with having real purpose. And I also really enjoyed the leadership role that I held in the team as captain. It was one that I was very proud of and I was very connected to people. And literally overnight, I couldn't hold a conversation. So my connectivity with the team stopped overnight. Um, I wasn't able to continue with any sort of work. Um, and, you know, I sat on the board at the Commonwealth Games and that was something I loved doing. I wasn't able to do that. Um, I wasn't able to keep in touch with friends. So it was it was definitely the isolation and the not being able to stay connected and not be able to explain to people why, because mm. I wasn't well enough. So it was almost like this vicious circle of probably nothingness to anybody else around me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I know that you gave a talk fairly recently about mental health or a sort of mental health talk or whatever. Um, and I know that, you know, previously haven't really struggled in that way. Did your mental health suffer during this period? I mean, it must have done. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one. And as when I was at my worst, I was always asked, how is your mental health? And I found it, if I'm honest, I found it very, very hard because... I didn't because you can't see it. It wasn't a mental health problem, but it was a head injury that resulted in poor mental health because I couldn't do anything. So it was two very separate things. But yes, looking back now, even though I said my mental health is fine, I'm physically unwell. And I used to almost argue with a doctor if, you know, if you were living the life I was leading, I challenge you to have good mental health. But it's not a mental health problem. It's a physical injury um, that's making how you feel tough and I probably fought it but I look back now and there were some really dark moments there mm. were but it was dark in that I was just petrified I wasn't going to get well and I was actually petrified that I'd be misdiagnosed because I couldn't believe that anybody you know you're right and I will say this about myself I'm very resilient not much stops me and this just stopped me in my tracks and I was I couldn't believe that people could go through this and there not be something that someone can see or some sort of injury that you can pinpoint and say okay this is what it is this is when you're going to get better no one knew and so my husband Alex was he used to make me say pretty much every morning I am getting better I will get better I'm going to make a full recovery and I used to get so cross with him because he'd like say it and and I would be like I don't want to he said say it and he's like I am getting better I will get better I will make a full recovery and he was relentlessly positive Mm -hmm. he was relentlessly believe that I would get well and actually I look at that now and that was such an important part of my journey because for months every day I didn't have a moment of feeling well yeah so it was really important that I had that that kind of yeah good voice in my ear saying that I would and that definitely helped I think I've read somewhere as well that you said as well you need your mind to tell your body that it's getting better so I've my belief my my belief system's changed enormously over the last year and a half because I feel like I've experienced health at it, my health at its poorest that I've ever experienced. And I believe that your mind and your body are inextricably linked without a shadow of a doubt. If, you're t- if your mind is telling your body it's not, it's poorly or your mind is telling your body it is useless or your mind is telling your body you can't do something, your body will listen. And so I have whether it has been self-talk, whether it has been breathing, whether it's been out in nature and all things where 
if I'd heard myself say this probably a year and a half ago, I would have laughed at myself. Like, what is she saying? But mm. you learn to look for other things to make yourself well. So, yeah, how I even after probably about five months of having a head, having this head injury, Alex and I stopped talking about it in the house. He stopped asking me because in asking me, he's reinforcing that I'm still not well. So it was just slight changes in behaviour that... So it became something I was managing as to something as opposed to something I was suffering with. I remember speaking to one lady and she said to me, she was a um, a neuropsychologist. And I was very nervous about seeing her, if I'm honest, because I was like, this is not a, I don't need to see a psychologist. It's, I've hit my head. <laughs> it's not what I'm thinking. And I was like, oh, okay, fine, I'll go because I'll try anything. And she said to me that um, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And if I'm honest, I remember looking at her thinking, but you're not suffering, so it's easy for you to say that. But actually, she's really right. Like, pain for all of us is inevitable in every walk of life, in many, many different manifestations. Mm -hmm. It's life, and it's the horrible part of life. But how we deal with that is optional. So rather than telling myself every day, this is awful, and how am I going to get through it? I was like, I was starting to tell myself, I've walked to the end of the garden today. I've held a conversation with mum, and I just changed my internal dialogue, and I know that that has helped my recovery and mm. I know that it's got me to this point. Uh, so that's the Buddhist mantra, isn't it? I think um, that uh, pain is inevitable, but suffering is not. So is it? Have, I yes, didn't know it that. is. Ah. It is. It's interesting. Yeah, Sports okay. psychology and Buddhism yeah. is uh, and I, as bedfellows. I said, at the time, I wanted to throttle the lady sat opposite me, but she was right. Yeah. And it's something that I... I've used a lot even more recently. You know, we we do have a choice about how we respond to things. It doesn't make it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it comes naturally, but we do always have a choice. Yeah. So your support network clearly, or like Alex, Alex your mm-hmm. other half, being definitely a bit of a hero, despite yep. obviously landing you in it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Um, Those terrible jokes. <laughs> but you know, you've had a lot of people who've really helped you through the period, haven't you? Yes. So you know, yeah. Just tell, talk to me about the gratitude you feel then towards your support network and, and you know, who did what and stuff like that? I think when something happens, you you find out who your warriors are. You find out exactly who's, you know, on your team and in your corner. And there's there's just no way in this world I would have got through the last two years had it not been for my family. You know, my my mum and my dad are just quite incredible human beings. Mm. My, my sister... You know, she she used to get up and train at 4am so she could be with me when I woke up in the morning and just lie in bed with me for a couple of hours. And then she'd change her working hours so that she could be with me. My brother, you know, he used to call mum every day because I couldn't take the calls. I just I just knew that they're, they're always there. And, you know, they'd come and see me. They'd I've got two young nephews and they, my poor nephews had to be in silent any time they came, you know just have a wonderful family and then your your friend friendship network and I think the sports network it's it's small and it's close and everybody understands what living in this environment means so people reaching out and it was whether it was an email or a phone call as I said what's been really challenging is for really up until now and we're what 18 months since I hit my head I haven't been able to reply to anything really very little because of the nature of my injury and my health so it will be now over the next you know period of time where I'm able to get back and say you made an enormous difference to me even though I couldn't get back to you at the time it lifted me on that day or it helped me make a good decision um, and then I had you know those friends that right from the start you know pretty much planned my wedding did it for me you know 
did my Hindu, you know, communicated with doctors, all of these things that my friends just went above and beyond and I'll be forever thankful. Yeah. And the organisations as well, because I know obviously you've, you're, you're in a fortunate position being an elite athlete. Yeah. You know, having all these people sort of step up. You and... are really fortunate, but nothing's a given. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think of, I think of two in particular. Then uh, there are others, but if I say these two in particular, hockey were or have been absolutely fabulous. And our sponsors, Investec, have been just far more than that. You know, they're the human connection I have with both of those organisations has been quite incredible because they care. And when you feel cared for, it helps your health. Mm. It it makes you feel like you weren't just a person in a system. You're not just a person in an organisation. And and they've been absolutely enormous in my support right from the start and right to the end. Um, And I very much look forward to this next period of time um, being able to say thank you appropriately because Mm. that's not given in, in, in life. And, as I said, you really, really do work out who's in your team. A lot of people can feel like a number or, a, you know, just yeah. just another person in an organisation. So were you surprised then by the way they stepped up? No, because of the working relationship I think I had with them before. And, you know, Investec are a very f- people-facing company. We know them. We know, We know them by name. You know, we we have had an enormous, a very long relationship with them at hockey and I'm also, um, I work with them personally as well. So, no, I, I wasn't surprised. Um, but it, it it doesn't make it any, you know, less amazing because you're you're not surprised. And, and people do surprise you. They surprise you both ways. Mm. Um, and again, with hockey, my, my relationship there has been for 18 years and I would consider them friends over colleagues, many of them. And I think the thing that was incredibly useful as everybody knows my character my goodness if I could have been on the pitch I would have been on the pitch mm-hmm. therefore even though I had something that was invisible they were very understanding and they were very supportive and even though you know we weren't that at, at times I had to look further afield in terms of um support to get well um they were always there helping mm-hmm. uh, and that that was enormous being valued by the where you work in your case is pretty different to most people's but it does make a huge difference so many people aren't don't feel like that and it, it makes a huge difference to you know considering how much time one spends at work oh i couldn't I, I was actually at and this is um when you say the workplace i i have a fantastic relationship with a company called hendy and i've always wondered why they've been so good to me very like, very like invested. Why have they been so good to me? And then I heard the owner of Hendy speak, and he talked about looking after his people, being a family, being connected, and every single one of you matter. And that is why, because they look after people. And it makes like such a difference do. that kind of attitude. They do, Huge. and they just and it and it makes you feel, as you say, valued and part of a team and part of something bigger. And when you feel valued and part of a team and part of something bigger. You're, you're in a pretty special community. Yeah, absolutely. And you said that people reacted, some would react in a way that you wouldn't expect, positively and, and, and vice versa. Yeah, so were you surprised by that? Yeah, as I said, you're almost sometimes surprised both ways, so incredibly positively. And then sometimes this is where I had to manage my expectations. I've spoken to you earlier on in the podcast saying, I never had expectations, but then something when this like this does happen because of fabulous friendships you have, you do have slight expectations. Now, the thing that's made this really difficult is I've not been able to communicate with with people because I wasn't well enough. So, 
you know, there has definitely been instances where I've I've wished for more or hoped for more, but I was never able to go and ask why or is everything going on with, you know, what's what's going on in your life? Or so it's far more complex than, you know, just being disappointed. And I, I much prefer to focus on, as I said, the absolute rock stars that are relentlessly by your side. And that's how I've chosen to deal with it. Friendships and finding out who your real friends are. That's been a real valuable lesson then for you. Because often we don't, you don't quite know, I guess. Yeah, you, I think... I think you don't quite know, but yeah, you really know when something happens, you really know who's in your corner. And I also think it forms a a really enduring friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's it connects people. So even if I think to Alex and my cousin, you know, Alex knew all of my friends, but he didn't know anyone at hockey. He didn't know anyone at Vestec. He didn't know, he now knows everybody because he had to he had to be my my poor Alex, my driver, my, you know, talking to people, he had to communicate to the medical team to, he had to organise everything for me. So it's also connected all of my friendship groups and my family, which is actually being really special because that group of people now will be far closer moving forward. So there's been lots and lots of positive things as well. Clearly your value system's changed a bit. I feel like I'm landing you slightly in it, but you were talking about, obviously you got married recently, Mm -hmm. but perhaps that might, you might have put that off until. (laughs) I'm really sorry if you listen to this, Alex. Yeah, I said that we totally wouldn't have got married until after Tokyo. (laughs) Maybe you would, who knows? I think it would have been unlikely because, you know, Alex is very focused on work. I'm very focused on hockey and, you know, you hardly have time to go on holiday, let alone plan a wedding. So, you know, I you know, I can't say for certain, but yeah, I, I do joke. Yeah, hunch. I do joke that this head injury has given me, you know, yeah, a great perspective and a husband. Um, yeah. And yeah, of course, we would have got married, I, I'm, I'm sure, at some point. But it, it definitely makes you realise, you know, your health really is everything. And I remember when I was, you know, at my absolute worst the only person I wanted by my side was Alex. Mm -hmm. Like he was the only person that made me feel, you know, made me feel okay. Uh, And when you spend that much time with somebody and that one, and that, and that person is doing so much for you, I think, I think it probably makes or breaks. And for us, it was a case of probably, yeah, accelerating that relationship, but only because hockey probably wasn't in the way because it was going that way anyway. But, um, yeah, it, it definitely, and to get married was incredibly special. I mean, never has a wedding been changed so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was incredibly special and my commitment is still to my sport, but it's just given me a, a much broader, um, appreciation for what's really, really important in life. So how would you say, how would you sum up how your value system has been altered by what you've been through? <sighs> God, that's a good question in terms of summing it up succinctly. Um, I think I look back and some... Oh, you could definitely question my balance before my head injury. My balance was hockey. You know, I was the athlete. I never missed a thing. I never... Every waking thought was about competing. And my family and Alex were very, very understanding. Of course, they've always been incredibly important to me. But hockey was always the thing for me but I think since I hit my head it's made me realize how fragile life can be how something can change in an absolute moment uh, and actually how 
you know, fundamental your relationships are to being happy. Mm-hmm. And actually when something changes in the moment, there's some things that don't ever change and they're generally the people around you. And I think that's just given me a, a much broader outlook on life. And whereas, as I said, hockey is still incredibly important to me. My family is my number one. Um, Alex is my number one. Those things just become even... Health. Health is... You have nothing without your health. And this last year and a half has really taught me that. It's very common, I think, for well, definitely very common for people to put work at the top of their mm-hmm. priority tree. And you were living your passion, but, mm. I mean, anyone can learn from that, that it's not the most important thing. It, it It's really tricky, isn't it? Because it was for me mm-hmm. and it is for many people, but it's just being able to remember that there are other things and those things contribute to you doing well. Of course. So the better you look after those things, it doesn't mean that you're, and that's where I am now. So my family, my relationships, my friendships, my, you know, having some time away, they contribute to me being a better athlete rather than always thinking they were fighting with it. And I think, again, that's just the way you think about something. So I now think about it more differently. Okay, I'm choosing to do this, but that's going to support me to be a better athlete in a different way. You said that you're not who you were and we touched on some of the aspects clearly your value mm-hmm. system changing and um being a bit more open and stuff but yeah how, how would you say you are different now than you were when you were captain i think um or particularly when i was captain i i was very methodical i would probably overthink everything i would spend every waking hour thinking okay what can they do what can i do to help the team move forward what can i do to be a better player what can i do and I think I was like every human being. I, I worried about what other people thought. I worried that, you know, this may be perceived in this way. And actually, I mean, most of the time it's not. I've realised that most of the time people just aren't thinking because everyone's got their own things to do. Yeah. And actually, I'm the, the last thing on their thought on the day or how I've said something in a meeting. No one actually cares. And I, it used to, I used to spend so much energy thinking about what others thought I, I honestly just don't know. I have much more confidence in my conviction about what I'm doing and it being the right thing with the right intention. And there's just more important things. And mm-hmm. I think if we worried less about what others thought and had a bit more you know, self-care, a bit more trust in in what we're saying and why we're saying it and what we were doing and why we were doing it, we'd just saves so much energy and I think it's it's definitely made me a more relaxed about things mm. it's made me um enjoy some things more s- silly things I don't think I'd had a bath ever until I hit my head and I suddenly had time and I've learned the relative mer- merits of having a bath it's calm you have time to yourself. It's thinking time. You're relaxing. I didn't have time to do any of those things. Um, you know, I used to go for a walk. I'd walk 100 miles an hour because I didn't have time to go for a walk. And I didn't need to go for a walk. Now I walk slowly. I hear things I'd never heard in my life before. I see things that I'd never seen. And it all may sound a bit airy-fairy, but it's it's definitely helped it's helped me as a person. It's just made me much calmer and much more relaxed and I have more time for the important things. So you're more present? Significantly more present. And I mean, Alex jokes about it. He just, I don't think he thought I was even on this planet before. And now I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely, that definitely happened. 
You said that you were determined to take the good from this. And I can hear that you've been able to do that. Have you even become, to some degree, grateful for what happened or not? So here's another story. So um, a dear friend sent me a text message um, probably two months into my head injury. And she said, Alex, you're not going to know this now, but this is a gift. She was another one I wanted to go and tear her head off. I was like, who are these people with all these wonderful things? Like, she was completely right. It, it, I have definitely got to the stage now where my life is infinitely better now in terms of balance, in terms of um, time I spend with people, in terms of appreciating things. It was the... I've. I have said for a while now it was the worst, best thing that's ever happened to me um, because my outlook is, is so very different. The time I spend with people is so very different and it's just slowed me down. Um, and I was determined. I would. I think I said very early, it's, it is in my character, I would take more than this than Nick would take from me and it took an enormous amount. But I'm at a point now where I'm incredibly happy, I'm getting well, I'm back in the environment I love, I'm married, I'm seeing my family more regularly and lots of things have gone on but I still feel that way. Mm. So again, that becomes the choice. Um, so yeah, my friend was right. It, it was in its own very strange way, something of a gift. What have you learned about being open and being vulnerable? Because clearly, as you said, you underreported it. Mm -hmm. you, didn't, you were someone who wouldn't want to show weakness but during the course of your recovery, you actually had to write a letter to the rest of your teammates. So, yeah, what have you learned there? It's tough, like, being really open and allowing yourself to be vulnerable isn't easy. In fact, particularly in the environment we've, you know, I've been brought up in, it's, you know, you don't show, I don't show weakness. You know, I don't get, don't give any sign that I'm not okay because I'm competing and I'm strong and I'm an athlete and I'm this. And the one thing I learned, particularly with a head injury, is it is invisible. You can't see it. So even now, I you know I look fine. I, I sound fine. I have a headache. It's background and I can tolerate it. It's not a problem. But when I was at my worst, I still... I probably didn't look, I'm not saying I look good, but I probably didn't look as I do now, but I, you couldn't see it. And I got to a phase, probably I think it was about seven or eight months where I wanted to try and return to some form of normality. I wanted to try and come back into Bisham where we train. And I recognised that I couldn't do that. I couldn't expect people to understand what I was going through until I told them because they can't see it. So I wrote a letter and, you know, it, it it basically detailed the life that I was living and what they may see. So if they saw it, they could help me. So it was simple things like if a please, please understand that if a conversation becomes too much or noises become too loud, I'll have to leave. So again, they didn't think, oh, Alex is being rude. She's halfway and she's off. They understood that actually the noise level was too high or I couldn't follow that conversation because my processing speed wasn't as quick. So I'd have to leave the environment. I said, if you see me with headphones in, you know, I'm not being rude. I'm listening to a guided meditation to try and help my headaches subside. I told them that white days, so white cloudy days, are much worse for my headaches than sunny blue. So they just had a real understanding of the kind of symptoms I went through. And therefore, I could ask for their help. And I mean, goodness, if there isn't a good lesson I've learned there is it's OK to ask for help. But in asking for help, you have to explain what you need. I think as humans, we are very caring. We want to support, but you can't support if you don't know what you are supporting. And 
And, you know, as I move forward in life, I will never be afraid again to say how I'm doing and be authentic and, and honest because it's amazing how people respond. The team were incredible. You know, I was well looked after, you know, bright lights were turned off when I went into a room and I felt okay about it. Mm. It was the best thing I did. A number of people I've spoken to who've who've gone through various things that had led them to being more open and vulnerable have found that as a result they've become more sensitive and more in touch with their emotions. Has that been the case with you? Oh, I was really sensitive anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think I've actually probably gone the other way. Really? I don't but that's know. interesting. So you said you were sensitive, yet you had perhaps this this you know oh, tough you, sheen, tough yes. exterior. Oh, very. So that perhaps they've become a bit more aligned, have they? Yeah, pot- potentially. I think more aligned. I think. Um, I think I've all. I think I've always cared. You could even argue over cared sometimes, um, which has led to you know that kind of sensitive side. But yes, I have. I've become very. I've become much more comfortable with showing that. Yes, I think that's, right. um, and particularly with your nearest and dearest, because at the time I didn't have any other option but to get upset or you know ask, am I ever going to get well? Or you know, I needed that reassurance. Um, you know, I never completely wrongly I was the captain of the team so I felt I can't be the one to ask for help I need to be helping you and that's wrong that's not a captain's role a captain's role is not to not ask for help they're not the finished product they and I never felt I never thought I was but they we don't have all the answers you're just there to lead authentically and actually showing your emotions is authentic Mm -hmm. and so yeah I'd be I am much more comfortable in doing that now and saying people, yeah, I'm doing really well or actually, yeah, no, today's not so good. Were you able to or did you use any of the strategies you learned in becoming an elite sports person to help you deal with what you went through? You could, I could probably write a book that would be... Publishers listening. Identical. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> almost identical to the point where, you know, I, I wrote a like a journal at the start and I, I couldn't write so I'd just draw like a cup and I'd shade it I basically wanted to get myself to a full cup and that was 100% health and it was like I'd shade like 10% for months and it got so depressing I think I stopped but you know I, I was trying to track my progress so that really helped because I could look back and say okay that, that's how I was feeling this is what I was doing now um I learned to put a new team of people around me you know athletes are only athletes because of the support system they have. And my support system had to change because what I needed was different. So in my athletic world, I'd learned how to do that. I'd learned how to find the right people. I'd learned how to work with those people. And I had to do the same when I was injured and when I had this head injury. Um, So there was many things that were very, very similar that I spoke to earlier on. I did believe I would always get well. It was challenged and... Some days that was harder than others, but I essentially had a goal, which was to get to full health. And that's, you know, getting to full health was at the same level as, you know, when I was healthy of winning an Olympic gold. It was, you know, setting a goal that you were trying to get to bit by bit. So I think there was so much from my sport, you know, from my sport, I was able to carry over. And your family have been through an incredible amount, not just with you as well, because obviously, so your sister was a very successful triathlete and she was involved in an accident that's left her paraplegic. Crikey, I mean, you guys have really been through it, haven't you? 
Yeah, it hasn't been. It's obviously 2019. We were very happy to kind of draw a close on 2019. Um, my sister had a horrific accident uh, in August last year um, and she was in intensive care for a number of weeks, general hospital, and she's now in Salisbury Spinal Unit where she gets specialist care uh, to help with her rehabilitation. And again, I think that's what I talk about all of us changing, I think, and all of us having a new perspective. I mean, what Claire's going through and how she is dealing with that challenge is quite simply unbelievable. Mm. You know, it is so enormously life-changing. Um, not being able to walk is terrible, and there are many other things you have to deal with that I'll be honest, you know, we didn't even know as a family. Your bowel care, your bladder care, your skin care, uh, body temperature, blood pressure. There are so many things that now on a day-to-day -day basis Claire has to learn. So again, it just puts things into perspective and us all having the things that we do and bringing them to the table and that's really, really important but your focus changes and mm. it very much has been over the last five months, all of us to support support Claire. You had a nice quote which is uh, um, learning that every moment as a hockey player or even just in life uh, is a gift. Is that really, that's obviously been really brought home. Yeah, I think again... You. You just never know at the click of a click of a finger when something might change. And I can't tell you how thankful I am. I live my career and I have lived my career in the way that I've lived it. Um I don't have I don't have one regret. I was the best athlete. I am the best athlete that I can be and I was pre injury and that's how I'm trying to be now. Um and it's just appreciate you have to appreciate the moments that you have because you don't know when they will not be there. And in our family, we've had to learn in the hardest way through two separate instances that you just don't know when that might change. And yes, it has changed. And in this particular moment, in the darkest moments for me, it was really tough. And in this particular moment for Claire, it is incredibly tough. And I will never take away how enormous going through a spinal cord injury is for anybody. But I also know that because of Claire's character... And because of how we are as a family, she will be okay. There will be, you know, sport is a saviour. Um, she will get back into that. I have zero doubt. Um, her mindset that she learned as an athlete, that will support her. And the decisions we now make and I now make as an individual and as a family have definitely changed because we have learned, yeah, authentically what is the most important thing in life and that's each other and family and your health. I was, I was just about to say, so what? Yeah, what's the, the key takeaway, the key things you've learned? So is that it? Or yeah, what if you were put, putting you on the spot here? So what I've really learned is if you don't do something with all you'll have, you'll never know. You'll never know what you can achieve. So I, I have always lived that way. I'm living that way now. You know, I'm, I'm coming back because if I don't, I'll never know. You never know if you don't try. So that, for me, is the undercurrent for everything. Give it a go. Mm. If you don't, you never write your final chapter. Mm. And then I guess even stronger than that, or the thing that supports that is the people around you appreciating what you have, um, having that strong family network, having that strong friendship network, and looking after your health, like looking after yourself. You, you have to look after yourself to be able to look after others. And, yeah, this year has definitely taught us that in abundance. So giving it a go... And therefore not having any regrets. Yeah. Live with no regrets. And if you can live with no regrets, then whatever happens, you can't look back and say, what if?
just before I let you go, so where are you at with the, obviously we've got Tokyo in the horizon. Mm-hmm. It's coming up fast. I know you're just back with the squad, so, um, and obviously they want your acrobatic goal-scoring skills back <laughs> to call upon. So, um, yeah, where are you at with your with your hockey? So I've returned to Bisham with the team, um, which has been, it's just been such a joy to be back in an environment I've been in for 18 years, colleagues and friends that, you know, I, it's been it's been fabulous. I'm very much at the early stages of return in terms of trying to push my physical activity. I still get, as I said, very bad headaches. So it's very much balancing a return to play with managing my symptoms. So I'm very much day by day. Um, I I believe that returning will support my health, and if my health gets better, it gives me the best opportunity to play. So I don't have a this is where I need to be at this date. I'm much more health orientated because if I'm healthy I'll be able to play Alex it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Don't Turn With The Score thank you very much we've hit the with five four three yeah we've hit the hour mark so I told Amazing. you fly thank by you. Yeah, anyway thank fly. you very much for coming on pleasure. Really pleasure thank you very much thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Turn With The Score I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and I would of course be delighted to hear your thoughts ideas and questions do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening. And if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say, I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.